ओम ज्ञान that process by which divya gyan is imparted di for for diksha means divya gyan and sha means shapayate uh, that which destroys so something is given and something is destroyed in the process of diksha it means that transcendental knowledge is given and sinful results are destroyed this is one definition there may be other definitions give this definition shila prabhat has quoted so from this we can understand that diksha is not merely a ceremony but it is an ongoing process even before the diksha ceremony transcendental knowledge has begun to be imparted otherwise why would anyone agree to undertake this commitment unless they had already started to receive transcendental knowledge and then even after the ceremony transcendental transcendental knowledge continues to be imparted so what is actually happening here Some, sometimes shila prabhat would say that the diksha ceremony is a formality because actually what happens in the ceremony is a commitment one commits to follow these regulated principles <coughs> and to chant a minimum number of rounds actually the commitment the 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 basic commitment is to dedicate one's whole existence in the service of krishna and chanting 16 rounds following four regulated principles that of course that commitment is also there but the the essence of the commitment is one of complete dedication to krishna because even following four regulated principles in itself doesn't amount to krishna consciousness there are many not so many nowadays but previously in india many people who are not vaishnavas used to follow these principles and even today there are persons who follow these principles who are not vaishnavas and are in fact rejected by vaishnavas as mayavadis so the four regulated principles in themselves do not constitute diksha and the chanting of the hari krishna mantra minimum 16 rounds of course this is bhakti but that has to be with the commitment to surrender to krishna because there is shuddhana nama parad and nama bhas the pure chanting of the holy names offensive chanting of the holy names 
and the stage in between in which one is endeavoring to chant purely. So that pure chanting means with the attitude anyabhilashita shunyam jnanakamadhinavrikam anukulena krishnanushilanam bhakti rutama this topmost bhakti. That means bhakti which is free from the desire for any uh, personal benefit through the processes of karma or jnana or yoga, but simply acting for the pleasure of Krishna. So this is shuddha bhakti or uttama. Uttama bhakti means uh, the topmost level of bhakti practice, devoid of any mixing, not karma mishra bhakti, not jnana mishra bhakti, not yoga mishra bhakti, but the endeavor to practice shuddha bhakti. Pure, unadulterated, unalloyed devotional service. So this commitment has to be there on the part of the sadhak, the one who is endeavoring to be a pure devotee. And he takes up the process of sadhana so as to attain siddhi. These are all most of you are coming from India, so I hope you're familiar with all these terms. These are common terms in spiritual lexicography. Sadhana means a process, particularly a spiritual process, which is executed for the purpose of attaining siddhi, perfection. So the topmost siddhi is to attain pure devotional service to Krishna. And for that purpose, one has to follow sadhana. So this uh, commitment to follow the sadhana by which we can attain to pure devotional service, that is supposed to be already there in one who takes who one who takes the formal uh, who partakes in the formal diksha that commitment should be there it's not that when you're asked what are the four regulated principles that you promise to follow and you start thinking about well am I going to follow them or not it's already understood that the devotee uh, aspiring devotee sadhak is following these principles and is committed to following them. That's why in the Shastras, and this process was of course given by Srila Prabhupada because he taught according to Shastra, and we continue to follow this, that first of all, someone who takes to devotional service, they receive some preliminary shiksha or instruction. Then by receiving that preliminary shiksha, then they feel that to uh, receive shiksha in a more complete manner, then it is required that I take diksha, initiation. So, before taking diksha, there is another ksha, pariksha, test, 
The guru should test the disciple. Is this person serious about taking shiksha? Only then should take shiksha. And the disciple should see, is this person serious to impart shiksha? And when both are mutually satisfied by a period of pariksha, of course we also have the written test that you have to see, that you understand what are you doing here? What is this diksha? Not that you're going to take diksha and then afterwards uh, not adhere strictly to the path of Krishna consciousness due to not understanding actually what it is. Because there may be many misconceptions. Not maybe, but almost always there are so many misconceptions about what Krishna consciousness is. This is the Mm. This is the uh, unusual situation of most persons born in Hindu families is that they know something about Krishna. Actually, nowadays, maybe not because born in a Hindu family, but they don't know anything because the parampara is broken. The, the, the family traditions are broken. And now, uh, many children growing up in India are more likely to know about Spider-Man than Krishna. And Spider-Man is just an imagination. And definitely, the young men are going to know more about, for instance, Sachin Tendulkar and his batting averages. He's a cricket player. Cricket's a sport. Which in America, it's a different... They play baseball, right? A similar kind of principle. Throw a, throw a ball, hit it with a bat, and run. And people go crazy over this nonsense. Anyway, people are more likely to know about that uh, than about Krishna. And they're more likely to know about Sachin's what he likes to eat for breakfast than what Krishna likes to eat for breakfast. <laughs> so it's unfortunate. But uh, traditionally, Hindus, they know something about Krishna, at least generally less than they think they do. As we often used to hear, that I am a Hindu, I already know about Krishna. Many people used to say, you don't have to tell me, I'm a born Hindu. We used to hear this. Nowadays, people are saying that I'm a born Hindu, I don't know anything about Krishna, please tell us something about Krishna. So, maybe that's better. But the point I'm making here is that many people know about Krishna, but there may be so many misconceptions, so many wrong ideas about Krishna because they're not receiving knowledge in the pure parampara. This knowledge of Krishna is mostly received in the present Hindu tradition. It's mostly received from Mayavadis or mixed devotees or persons who are not pure devotees, and the result of that is, according to Sanatana Goswami, in some ways worse than not hearing about Krishna at all. He says, Avaishnava mukhodgirnam putam harikatam ritam shravana naivakartavya sarpo chishta yathapayam that harikata is amrita, is just like nectar. Very sweet, 
Nectar is very sweet to drink. Amrita means like milk. Sometimes that's called Amrita. Very nice to drink. Very pleasant. Very nice flavor. And uh, is also life-giving. But that same milk, so the Harikata is compared to this. Because by hearing Harikata, it's very nice to hear. And it gives us life. It saves us from death. Saves us from repeated birth and death. But that same milk, if you have a glass of milk, and a poisonous snake comes and drinks some of that, then the remaining portion looks like milk, and may taste like milk, but it won't nourish us like milk, it will poison us. So in the same way, this Harikata, which is spoken by non-devotees, may sound like Harikata, it may seem to be in all respects like Harikata, but the effect is not that it will purify us, but it will poison us. So practically we see that so many people, they know something about Krishna, but all mixed up ideas. So many wrong ideas. that Krishna was immoral, we often hear this. Or that we are all Krishna, everyone is Krishna. Or we chant Hare Krishna, then we also become Krishna. So many wrong ideas. So, before Diksha, there should be some Pariksha that is the candidate actually understanding what is Krishna consciousness. Or is he still mixed up with all these wrong ideas? Because even if we chant Hare Krishna, if we have these misconceptions, then the result of chanting Hare Krishna, which is attaining love of Krishna, will not take place even if we chant for many births. Bahujanma Karejadi Shravan Kirtan Tabutta Napai Krishna Pade Premdhan. If we chant for many births the names of Krishna, we will still not get Krishna Prem if we are harboring these misconceptions. So it has to be seen. Is the candidate serious? Is he willing to reject all the misconceptions that he had previously? And misconceptions not only about Krishna, but everyone in material consciousness. Everyone in material consciousness is full of misconceptions. The basic misconception that everyone in materialistic consciousness has is mentioned by Lord Krishna in Bhagavad Gita. Ishvara hamaham bhogi. I am the controller and I am the enjoyer. But one who takes to pure devotional service knows that das osmi, jivesvarupoi, Krishna nitta das, gopi bhartur, padakamlaya, dasu dasanu dasaha. I am the servant of Krishna and I am the servant of Krishna's devotees. So one who adopts this attitude is actually fit for diksha understanding, at least theoretically, that I am the eternal servant of Krishna. At least theoretically and practically also taking up in our lives the process of Krishna Bhakti Sadhana that will fully purify us. It means that when we first come to Krishna consciousness, there is some, just by associating with pure devotees, 
and adopting their mood, that in itself is purifying, but for further purification, one has to take up the process very seriously. Ado shadha tata sadhu sangha atha bhajana kriya. First of all, uh, if one has a little initial faith in the process of Krishna consciousness, then he will associate with devotees who will uh, engage him, if he's faithful enough, serious enough, in the process of bhajan or sadhana. So this sadhana process begins ado gurvashaya. First of all, one should take shelter of a guru and then uh, Krishna diksha anushikshanam. Then one should take diksha from guru and shiksha vishram bhena guru seva and continue to serve the guru with respect and affection. So this diksha ceremony is there and shiksha continues after also. It's not that one takes shiksha and then one thinks, now I've taken diksha and that's it. Now I'm finished. But rather this is the beginning of one's real spiritual life. Begins with diksha. Now again, what is the diksha? The diksha is the commitment. Then what... Sometimes Prabhupada used to say that diksha is a formality. So what does this mean, that diksha is a formality? Does it mean it's not important? No, the ceremony is also required. It's not that, well, all right, I'm committed. But this ceremony means there is formal commitment. Unless and until there is formal commitment. What's going on? As soon as someone gets up, I see everyone. The attention goes elsewhere. So please try to listen. Adjusting the window. If you want to adjust the window, you can, but it's not that everyone should all of a sudden stop listening and start becoming interested in window adjustment. We're interested here in consciousness adjustment. Adjusting our consciousness by hearing, by this process of hearing. So this, uh, we shouldn't think, uh, now I'm initiated. So, all right, that's it. I got a guru, I got a new name. Now I'm recognized, that's it, all finished. No. But diksha means uh, the beginning of a formal commitment to follow the process of sadhana, whatever. It means we, we, we vow, we'll chant mi- minimum 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna mantra daily, follow these four regulated principles. These, this is the minimum uh, sadhana that one commits oneself to. But along with that, there are many other points which, although we don't vow to do, but they're practically part of the commitment because unless we f- follow these other points, so that means daily associating with devotees, daily hearing, uh, studying Srila Prabhupada's books, so unless all these points are there, uh, we, we vow no meat, no fish, no eggs, but actually that vow means we should only take Krishna prasadam, not eating food cooked by non-devotees. So all these points are there. And if we, if we don't follow these, then we won't be able to maintain the other points either. So practically, it's a, this, it's, it's a bigger commitment than uh, the, the two particular points which are vowed. So... Uh, 
this sadhana process goes on under the direction of Guru and Gurus, Vandeham, Sri Guru, Sri Padakamalam, Sri Guru and Vaishnavamscha. All Vaishnavas are Gurus and especially uh, where there are more senior, more mature, more learned devotees, more advanced, then we should consider them as Gurus also. One accepts one Diksha Guru, but uh, we should see all senior Vaishnavas as Gurus, those who are competent to guide uh, us along the path of sadhana bhakti that will lead ultimately to pure love of Krishna. So this ceremony is also important because it is a commitment to a life of Krishna consciousness, a formal commitment. That commitment should be there anyway, must be there before the ceremony. But the ceremony, formal ceremony, formalizes it. That means that uh, there is no going back. Previous to that, the, the, that means that the commitment becomes paka or uh, fixed, you could say. Previous to the commitment means, especially in the modern age, we see people, they make a commitment and then they renege on it. It's quite common. That uh, we're getting, today we're getting married and uh, I promise to be with you throughout my life or for a few years at least. Something like this. So in the modern age, people are not very good at committing. People are not very responsible. The, uh, the whole s- civilization or lack of it, what goes on in the name of civilization, is based on personal sense gratification. Personal sense gratification means no responsibility. The more we are interested in personal sense gratification, then the less there is uh, responsibility. The modern society puts much emphasis on one's rights. But Vedic culture puts emphasis on one's duty and responsibility. By adhering to which, this is dharma, by adhering to our duties and responsibilities, then uh, we will be following the path of dharma. Of course, Krishna consciousness is param dharma, the topmost dharma. And automatically, our welfare will be taken care of by dharma. Dharma means Vishnu. Automatically, that will be taken care of. So, we don't have to think about rights, but we have to think about our duty and responsibility. It's when one accepts initiation, it means giving up all rights. I no longer have any rights. Just like a chattel or a slave, he has no rights. So who will become a slave voluntarily? The, uh, the big, there was a big struggle the American Civil War was supposedly based on this, that uh, abolish slavery. 
But here we have today voluntary acceptance of slavery. No rights. Only duty and responsibility. Who will voluntarily become a slave? One will voluntarily become a slave who considers, I have a good master. Just like the dog, who is happier? The dog with a master or the street dog? Simply running. I think in America there are no street dogs. There's only man's best friend making the house stink. But uh, in India, most of the dogs are street dogs. They have no master. Simply, someone might throw them a few scraps of food. Maybe. More likely they're going to get, yeah, get out, hut, hut, get out. No one likes them. And mangy and no, very thin, no food to eat. They have no mat. They have freedom. The freedom to struggle and have not be recognized or loved by anyone. So in a better position is the dog who is maintained. Then he has a master. That's what the master said. Sit. Get up. Tell the dog to sit. must sit. Get up. He gets up. When the master feeds, he eats. So like a slave. But who is in the better position? The dog that is maintained and ordered, do this, do that. Or the dog who is free to run in the street and have stones thrown at him. So obviously the, the maintained dog is in a better position. So this is our position. We want to be free. We don't want, in, in material life, we don't want to have any master. That I am free. Ishwaraham. I am the controller. I am the enjoyer. Aham bhogi. Siddhoham. I am perfect. Balavan. I am powerful. Suki. I am happy. But actually, we are not. We are simply miserable. Trying to assert our freedom when by nature we are das, we are slave. Jivasarupai Krishna das. By constitution, we are slaves of Krishna. But he is a uh, beneficent master. Becoming the slave of Krishna is unlimitedly better than, pro- than proclaiming our independence. Because we can never be independent. Either we are Slaves of Krishna, or we are slaves of our senses. We are slaves of Maya and have to suffer thus. So, there will be no disciples' rights movement. That now we want our rights. Why is the Guru telling this? Who is he? We want our rights. Gurus can only, they can sit on a seat and we'll give them a little donation, but you don't tell us what to do. We are very intelligent. We know what to do, and you just shut up. We're all equal. And, okay, you be guru today, and then tomorrow I'll be guru, and you sit down, and I'll tell you what to do. There's no such thing. This Mayavadis have invented. Guru Mara Vidya. You learn everything from the guru, then cut his throat, and you become guru yourself. But watch out, because your disciples, they'll be waiting to do the same thing to you. This is, so, this commitment is, Chakudana Dilo Jai Janme Janme Prabhu Shai 
that who has given me the gift of eyes, Ajnanatimirandhasya, Yananjana Shalaka, Chakshuran Militam Jena Tasmai, Sri Guravenamaha. I was blind. We are all blind. We cannot see what is our real self-interest. We think that our self-interest is getting money and collecting, filling our house up with useless objects, so many useless gadgets and toys and so many ridiculous things, and spending money for sense gratification. We think that our self-interest is to be separate from Krishna. This is a mistake. We are blind. Inherently, we have the power to see, but our vision is covered by cataracts. That needs to be cut out by the uh, words of transcendental knowledge. So, Guru gives the power to see by cutting the illusion that covers our vision. So, Chokhudana Diloje, Janme Janme Prabhushe, that gift of the vision by which we can see Krishna and see ourselves and see what is our relationship, that we are indebted and that debt can never be paid off. People, it's, it's, everyone in America is in debt. They're trying to pay it off. But the debt to Guru can never be repaid because what he gives is that which is unlimited. So how can an unlimited debt be repaid? So therefore, one simply serves life after life, goes on serving in great happiness. Not that, oh, I have to try and pay it off and it's so miserable. But, but service is very pleasing. Service to Guru and Krishna is very pleasing. It's far more pleasing than the attempt to be independent of Krishna. So, Chakudana Diloje, Janme Janme Prabhushe, Dibbogyan Hride Prakashita. Because he reveals that Divya Jnana, which is the essence of Diksha, that is revealed within the heart. So, this Diksha is a ceremony, it is a formal commitment, it is required. Prabhupada said Diksha is a formality. But this, form, this ceremony is required to make our commitment pakka, firm, no going back. Of course, like I was saying, people, they enter into marriage and then they break it. Although there's no such thing as breaking marriage. It's meaningless. But they've invented divorce laws. So... It's an age of irresponsibility. So those who are taking this diksha vow formally before the fire, before the Vaishnavas, before Guru, before Prabhupada, Param Guru, before the deities, they should be very careful that I have to maintain this vow. This is a vow that will pertain not through, not only in this life, but in life after life. It is a giving of oneself that I know I no longer consider myself, I'm no longer independent. I'm giving up this false sense of independence and giving myself as a slave to Krishna 
under the guidance of his devotees, understanding that this is my real self-interest. So at the time of initiation, one vows to chant a minimum of 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna mantra daily. That chanting should be performed purely. That purely means free from all offenses and with an attitude of pure love for Krishna. That is pure chanting. So in the beginning, our chanting is not pure. That is why we're doing sadhana. Our sadhana is to achieve the siddhi of pure devotional service. So chanting in this navabhas or clearing stage and chanting in pure love of God, there is a difference in quality. But by regularly chanting, the quality, the purity becomes manifested. The, the, the very endeavor to chant purely brings about purity. But we also have to know what are the offenses against the holy name which if we maintain these offenses then we can never achieve pure love of Krishna. So we, we have to know how to chant in a way that uh, our chanting will actually bring the result. Bahujanma kare jadi shravan kirtan tabuta napai krishna pade prindhan if we chant with offenses, then even in many lifetimes, we will not gain pure love of Krishna, Prem Bhakti, which is the goal of this chanting. So we have to know what those offenses are so that we can be free from them. So the ten offenses which are to be avoided are, first of all, to blaspheme devotees especially those who have dedicated their lives for propagating the holy names of Krishna. Now, if there's some, there may be some philosophical discrepancy which may be pointed out, but if someone is just out of envy, spite, finds fault in a Vaishnava, Krishna will not be pleased. And if Krishna is not pleased, then what is the value of our chanting? We're chanting Hare Krishna. It means, O Krishna, O energy of Krishna, please engage me in your service. But Krishna will not want to engage in his service. One who has, uh, one who is offensive to his devotees, or the second offense, to consider the names of demigods like Lord Shiva or Lord Brahma to be equal to or independent of the name of Vishnu. So if, we, if we're chanting Hare Krishna, we want to serve Krishna, but we don't properly understand who he is, then even while apparently praising him, we'll actually be insulting him. Just like uh, if, if uh, the president of the country so we want to praise him and we call him Senator Bush. So 
So to call anyone a senator, well, that's a very big position in society. If you call a senator senator, that means you're, you're offering him respect, recognizing his position. But if we call the president senator, then it's not, in his case, it's not offering respect. Because although it's a high position, it's, uh, it, it fails to recognize what his actual position is, which is above that of being a senator. So to, to praise someone at a level lower than his actual position is actually not praise. It's actually an insult. Oh, you don't know who I am? Why do you think I'm only, are you thinking I'm just a senator? You don't know I'm elected as the president? So in the same way, if we think that, oh, Krishna, you are very great, just like Shiva and Brahma, that's an insult, actually. Because Krishna is uh, He is the origin of all the demigods. Yam Brahma, Varanendra, Rudra, Marutastam, Vanti, Divyaistavai. All the demigods, they offer prayers to Krishna. So to consider that, yes, Krishna, Shiva, Chandra, Vayu, Durga, and a few others made up recently also, they're all the same as Krishna. Then this is offensive to Krishna. One should clearly know, Mataf Parataram Nanyat Kinchidasti Dhananja. There's no one equal to or above Krishna. He is Asamurdva. Above all. This should be clearly understood. This is, a, I was talking about Hindu misconceptions. This is a common one. That Krishna is, we worship all the gods. No. Krishna alone is supreme. This must be understood. Otherwise there is no question of attaining love for Krishna. Do you need a seat, chair to sit on? It seems like you are. Knees are a little stiff. Why don't you get it? We have some. We have chairs. You can sit. If you want, you sit comfortably. We have. We've heard Prabhupada saying, "Sit properly." But for those whose bodies are stiff and aching, we may say, "Sit comfortably." Also. So, Guru uh, Ravagya to accept Guru, and then to not take him seriously, not follow his instructions or to consider him an ordinary person. This is offensive to the chanting of the holy name because the holy name is delivered by Guru, knowledge of the holy name given by Guru. Then if we think, ah, there's my Guru. He's okay, he's a nice guy. No. Guru Abhagya means to have any conception less than that by, given by Krishna. That is, Acharyam Vang Vijani Andhavamanyita Karhichit Namartya Buddha Suyeta Sarvadeva Maya Guru. Krishna says, one should know the Acharya as myself. Guru is Krishna. Not that he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead but as the representative of Krishna to be worshipped as much as Krishna. Or even Krishna says, Madhbhatta Puja Vyabhika. My devotee to be worshipped more than So, Acharya Mang Vijaniya. Guru is Krishna 
Krishna says, Guru is me. He is Krishna in as much as Sakshad Haridvena Samasta Shastraya Uktastata Ravyata Eva Sadvihi Kintu Prabhava Yafriya Eva Tassi Nande Guru Sri That he is one with Krishna in the sense that he is very dear to Krishna and delivers Krishna. So Acharyam Vangvijaniyam Navamanyeta Karhiji Never to be disrespected. Never to be considered an ordinary person because he is the representative of all saintly persons and demigods. So one should not uh, one should not have any other conception of Guru than this. I may think, well, ordinary person, chanting Hare Krishna. I'm also chanting Hare Krishna. I'm also an ordinary person chanting Hare Krishna. Guru is also an ordinary person chanting Hare Krishna. So why is so much respect should be given to Guru? Because he's taken the position, maybe an ordinary person, just like the president of America, he's an ordinary person. He gets up in the morning, eats his breakfast, goes to sleep at night, has wife and children, and uh, he is, when he was born, came to the womb of his mother. So, ordinary person. But now he has the president's post. That has to be recognized. That has to be respected. So, one who takes up the service of guiding others, then that has to be recognized because Krishna says so. So, we cannot please Krishna unless we recognize it. Hmm. Then, Shruti Shastra Nindanam, to blaspheme the Vedic literature, or to think it's some, to consider that the Vedic literature is some mundane literature. <laughs> Veda Narayanam Sakshat, the Veda comes directly from Narayana, is non different from Krishna. So if we think that this Vedic literature is like some mundane literature, Brahmapramad, Vipralipsa, Karana, Patal, Arsha, Vidya, Varkya, Nahidosh, Eshav, the conditioned souls have the defects of making mistakes, imperfect senses, illusion, and cheating propensity. But this is not present in the words of Shastra or in the words of self-realized persons. So if we consider that Ved Shastra, oh, that was that was good for previously, but now it's meaningless. Oh, I like this part, I don't accept this part. No, this is all offensive to Shastra. <coughs> Chanting will not bring any result unless we have firm faith in Guru, Sadhu and Shastra. Then, Harinami uh, Kalpanam, to consider that the chanting, this chanting is some imaginary process. The glories of chanting are some imagination that it's, it's not real. We may think that the holy name of Krishna, that's some imaginary name, and that the, the holy name of Krishna. For instance, we may think that the holy name is some imagined process, which is good. If you like, you can chant it and 
that will help you to concentrate or some such thing. So no, we should know that the name of Krishna is Krishna and Krishna is real, more real than what we consider to be real. We consider to be real my body, my home, my car, my wife, my business, all this. But Krishna is more real because he is the uh, Vastavik Vastu. He is the actual reality. And all other reality is simply dependent on him. The name of Krishna is non different from Krishna. This is reality. Chanting Hare Krishna is reality. Sometimes people think you see devotees chanting in this why are they chanting in this history? What is this? Why don't they be real? This is real. Chanting Hare Krishna is real. And wandering in the streets, not chanting Hare Krishna. That is Maya. So, Tathartavadaha. She put some mundane interpretation on the holy name to give some to by Sanskrit interpretation, just like one fortunately now deceased rascal, he has given his interpretation. Krishna means black. That's true. One of the meanings of Krishna is black. But he has uh, this rascal, so-called Swami, who is now in a very black situation himself, no doubt. So he said black means dark and dark means unknown therefore Krishna is unknown you can't know anything about Krishna so don't bother forget Krishna this is rascal malinterpretation no we should not reinterpret we shall understand the name of Krishna from Shastra from Sadhus from devotees not from persons who want to consign Krishna to darkness he is Yam Shamasandaram Achintaguna Swarupam. That blackish form of his is very beautiful, composed of unlimited, uh, inconceivable transcendental qualities. And uh, that blackish form of his, Yasya Prabhaprabhato Jagadanda Koti Kotishvasheshavasitadi Vibhuti. Tad Brahma Nishkala Mananta Vashesha Bhuta. Govindavadi Purusham Tamaham Bhajan. In this verse, it's mentioned among other things, that the uh, inconceivable light of the Brahma Jyoti, more bright than millions of suns, is coming from Krishna. So Krishna is not darkness. Krishna Surya Sama, Maya Hoy Andhaka, Jaha Krishna, Taha Nahi, Maya Radhika. Krishna is compared to the sun. It's an example, because actually Krishna is much brighter than the sun. But Krishna is just like the sun means, where there is Krishna, there is no darkness, there is no ignorance, there is no maya. Maya means, just like darkness means the absence of sunlight, so maya means the absence of the light of Krishna. So we should not malinterpret the names of Krishna. Or we should not consider that chanting Hare Krishna is another kind of punya karma, which is performed. Karma kanda, there are so many karma kanda activities, and many of them parallel 
the activities of bhakti, shuddha bhakti. Just like now, we are to perform a fire sacrifice. So that is commonly done by karma khandis, those who want some fruitive result. They perform fire sacrifices or visiting temples. Mostly people go for some material benefit. Who's that from? Vaisak? Ah, yes. Surya. So that uh, just came to mind that temple is there in Vishakapatnam of Lakshmi Varaha Narasimha Swam. So that temple is particularly people go for material benefit and especially the uh, ladies who are not able to conceive children, they will go there. And pure devotees also go there. But they go to bow their heads before the Lord and pray, please engage me in your service without any... I don't want anything for my sense gratification in that term. So the activities of Krishna consciousness and the activities of the karmis, the pious activities of the karmis, may seem to be the same. And even chanting the name of Vishnu is very much part of Vedic culture. Even the karmis, the, the smartest, they recommend, chant the name of Vishnu. Chant Vishnu Sahasranam. It's very good. Because by doing so, you'll be free from all sins. But if we think that ch chanting the names of Krishna is only for removing sins, like some kind of uh, karmic dishwashing liquid or something like this. You, you, you commit sins and then you chant. Daily we chant Vishnu Sahasranam. Okay, let's clean for the day. and Okay, let's get on with another day of sins. Such an attitude is itself sinful, as will be one of the offenses it's mentioned. So if we think that, yes, yes, chanting Hare Krishna is very good, then it's, you also get some pious result, and as a, in future you can go to Swargaloka, to the heavenly planets. If we think like that, we can never get love of Krishna. Maybe we'll go to Swarga by chanting Hare Krishna, but we won't get love of Krishna. So we have to understand clearly. That is why one has to hear from gurus and Vaishnavas and Shastra, why we're chanting Hare Krishna, how to chant Hare Krishna, in order to get the result of chanting Hare Krishna, the real result, which is love of Krishna. So uh, th that I just uh, alluded to, that uh, we should not... Uh, what was that? We, we should not... Uh, not chant Hare Krishna, thinking that we'll get material benefit. Ah, yes, and then before that comes the, um, to con chanting Hare Krishna, thinking, oh, in Shastra it says that by chanting we'll be free from sinful results, so let's do a lot of sins, and then we'll chant Hare Krishna, and then we can do more sins, get free of the... This is very simple. If we think like that, even Yamaraj will not, not able to purify us. Yamaraj purifies the sinful people from their sinful results. But this attitude is so sinful that we shall engage Krishna uh, to clean up after our sinful activities. This attitude is so offensive that even being punished by Yamaraj will not purify us from that. So we should never think like this. 
that, oh, I'll do something wrong in any way we're chanting Hare Krishna, so what does it matter? We should never think like this. We should not instruct the glories of the Holy Name to faithless persons. Anyone may be asked, chant Hare Krishna. But to instruct the glories of the Holy Names, how how chanting Hare Krishna uh, in, in detail, describing how the, the Holy Name is non-different from Krishna, the process of pure devotional service. Faithless persons, uh, they will tend to mock and make more offenses. So we should be careful who we instruct in these matters. Then, to maintain material attachments, even having heard the glories of the Holy Name, to take to the, to superficially take to the path of pure devotional service, but to deliberately maintain material attachments is offensive. We will not get the result of chanting Hare Krishna. We should consider this very seriously because we're seeing that many devotees, they maintain attachments to activities which are absolutely antithetical to pure devotional service, such as uh, watching all kinds of nonsense things on TV. And actually even the news is nonsense because it's news about nonsensical people. So, of course, we are in this material world and but Rupa Goswami advises that we should only interact with this material world. Our, our material dealings should only, they should be minimal, whatever is required. We don't need to read the whole newspaper. Anyway, you require a whole day to read it. It's so big, the newspapers. So, so read and just read what is the sports news and what is the going to the movies and all these things which block devotional service. They have no relationship. Of course, we can always make some excuse and say, yes, well, we had... We, I, there are some foolish excuses made, but the human life is meant for God-realization. And that is possible by hearing and chanting about Krishna. So we should maximize our time for hearing and chanting about Krishna and not maintain material attachments that will bind us in this material world. But this is very important. Because if we, if we attempt to cultivate Maya at the same time as Krishna, then Maya will catch us and Krishna will not take us. Because Shuddha Krishna Bhakti means without any other desire. As long as we desire anything in this material world, we cannot get Krishna. So this has to be understood and adhered to very seriously. So this chanting should be chanted the holy name should be chanted uh, attentively. Not that we're chanting Hare Krishna and thinking of so many things. So this practice, chanting purely, is required. Always the endeavor must be there to chant purely. And then we can gradually attain to the stage of pure devotional service. But if we don't, then we can't. We should, if, we can't attain devotional service unless we endeavor for that. We shouldn't think that initiation means uh, the Guru blesses us and then that's it. We have nothing more to do. This is in fairy tales. The Guru touches the disciple on the head and he has an electric shock and then he wakes up with self-realization and the Guru's crying. The disciple asks, why are you crying? Because I gave all my realization to you and now I have nothing left. <laughs> this is all nonsense. It is required that we take help from Guru, 
but we have to do our bit also. Just like we have fallen in the well and Guru throws the rope that we, we say, help, help, I'm drowning in the well. So someone throws a rope. So you take, you say, well, help me. I, I, I'm helping you, I'm throwing the rope. Well, help me. Well, you catch hold of the rope and I'll pull you up. Why, you should help me? Why are you asking me to do anything? You have to take the rope. Then you can come up. So if you think, no, you come down here and tie it up around me. You come down to my level. And we're both in the well and then how will we come up? <laughs> so we have to come up. Don't pull the guru down. All these things have to be understood. Understood? To understood? You should understand. Anyway, it may take time to understand all these things, but at least the commitment should be 